You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Summer on Max's Island is a time to review the stories from the past year, especially those that have captured our interest. Natalia and Jacinta are both impressive young professional women, each with an insatiable zest for life and promising careers. But just as these careers and life in general were beginning to take off in their early 30s, both experienced catastrophic health conditions that dramatically impacted on their lives. Firstly, we'll hear from Natalia and how her dream job and life in New York became derailed by a mystery illness that has ultimately led to a disabling condition. And then we'll understand the mental and physical impact Jacinta endured as a genetic condition became a serious illness requiring dramatic surgery. Please enjoy this episode in our summer series from the island. Oh, absolutely. I, I do have a time where I um, made a dream come true. And it was when I was, I just turned 30 and I moved to New York City to work for the Australian Consulate. And that had been a dream for a long time to work overseas or particularly New York? Oh, particularly New York. So New York had been my dream since I was a teenager. And, you know, like so many people, I grew up watching TV shows and movies set in the city. Uh, and it was, it, was, it was probably the number one thing on my bucket list. And a lot of people knew that about me. They were like, oh, yes, you know, Natalia, you know, she, she wants to go and live in New York. That's her thing. <laughs> and had you been there before on holidays? Oh, yeah. So, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you knew it well. Oh, yes. Um, so every chance I got, I tried to get over there, you know, and it's quite a trek from Perth where we live. So um, that was no mean feat. So by the time I'd moved, I'd, I'd visited there three times. Yeah, yeah. So you knew your way around. You knew the vibe. Yeah, I knew New exactly where I wanted to live. <laughs> mm. What time of the year did you go over? I moved over in March. So perfect timing in terms of the weather. It was, you know, they were just coming out of winter and heading into that steaming hot New York summer. And yeah, I, I mean, I think it's really rare for a dream that you've built up over so many years 
to uh, meet your expectations. But that's exactly what happened with me in New York. Like I had this amazing dream about living in this magical city. And then when I got there, it was even better than I had imagined it would be. It was just amazing. And I had this fantastic job, you know, I got to work with people I really admired. I met people like Julia Gillard and Malcolm Turnbull. So I I just, I was absolutely living the dream and loving it. And you were living in Manhattan? Yes. So I managed to find a beautiful share apartment in Soho through Friends of Friends. So I was very lucky. Um, You know, I moved to that city you packed up my bags, moved by myself, city of nine million people, and I knew no one. But I met some amazing people really quickly and, yeah, managed to score an apartment in Soho. And how long were you in New York working? Oh, just under 18 months. Yeah, I had a good chunk of time there and I had some really incredible experiences. I remember um, going along to a movie premiere once. So it was Lion, the movie that was filmed in Australia with Dev Patel and snagged an invite to that through my job at the consulate. You know, just stuff that you'd never even dream of. So, you know, found myself standing next to Nicole Kidman and Bill Clinton sitting in the aisle across from me and just sitting there going, you know, what even is this life that I've landed in? It was surreal. It was really surreal. Yeah. And why did it finish in New York? Uh, Well, not by choice, Uh, certainly not by choice. So the dream for me turned into a nightmare. I caught a virus and I was exposed to toxic mould. And that combination of things uh, triggered an illness in me. Um, I got sick and I just didn't get better. I kept expecting things to resolve, like one week, you know, two weeks later, three weeks later, uh, and and yeah, it was like I got the flu and just never recovered from it. I remember sitting on the subway riding into work a couple of weeks after this had all started happening, and I had a panic attack because it was 9am in the morning and I felt completely exhausted already, even though I'd just gotten up after sleeping for like eight hours. And, you know, I was so short of breath that I could hardly breathe. So it was a really scary time and I didn't know what was going on. I did what any other person would do and took myself off to the GP and they referred me on to a specialist and they did a whole bunch of tests on me and the test results came back and they said, look, um, there's nothing wrong. We've run all these tests. Uh, Absolutely nothing wrong with you. Um, Here's the proof. You're perfectly healthy. And I sat there and said, well, that's not right. Like your tests aren't correct because I am explaining to you what's happening to me physically in my body. And they said, no, no, you're just anxious. You're a perfectly healthy young woman. This is all in your head. You're just being, you know, anxious about it. And that was the first time that I'd had my lived experience of something that was happening to me that I was very clear on and very sure of, uh, just dismissed out of hand by healthcare professionals. And I didn't know it at the time, but 
it would happen to me again and again, both in America and in Australia once I moved home. So over an 18-month period of trying to find out what was happening to my health, I would see over 30 different doctors and medical practitioners and I'd see you know GPs and specialists and then I ended up with naturopaths and other alternative practitioners and either my experience of what was happening to my body would be denied and dismissed or it was like they just had no understanding of what was actually happening to me and so they couldn't help me and that was equal parts terrifying and infuriating the being dismissed part it was it was really scary and yeah I came home and thought I'll get my visa I'll fix whatever's happening and I'll be back there in a hot second but that didn't happen story starts with a big old curveball. When I was 30, I got diagnosed with bowel cancer. And that was only three years ago? Three years ago. And had you experienced anything like that previously in your life? Nothing. Uh, So yeah, all healthy, fit, happy, 30-year-old, no symptoms. Because bowel cancer, you, you think of older people. Young people, very rarely. Is that something that is common? Uh, It's starting to um, affect a lot more younger people. And is that because of environmental things or...? or They're not sure. Yeah, as you kind of suggested, it has always been a kind of old person's disease. But uh, for whatever reason, we're just getting diagnosed younger and younger. So tell us how it came about. What was the lead up to it and how were you told? So my story actually starts uh, with a nagging father. He uh, was diagnosed himself with bowel cancer when he was uh, 46 and went on a bit of a journey to find out why. So he ended up at Genetic Services WA and um, through their testing, uh, they found out that he was diagnosed with Lynch syndrome. So what that is, it's a a faulty gene that makes you more predisposed to cancer. And in this case, uh, bowel cancer or what the Americans refer to as colon cancer. And if you're a female, you get the double whammy of ovarian cancer and uterine cancer. And he passed that gene on. Yes. So Mm. he has a 50-50 chance of uh, whether he passes it on. So from the time I was 26, he kept nagging me going, Jacinta, you need to go get tested. Uh, You need to, you know, see if you have this gene. And I was like, no, dad, like, I don't want to have the, you know, the shadow of maybe getting cancer over me. That's not something I want in my life. Um, So you thought that (laughs) not having a test just puts it way to the back of your mind and doesn't come into your life. Yeah, I don't need to know. Uh, I just, I'll get tested. So I'll just go get colonoscopies. So normally it's 10 years after your family member has been diagnosed. So my dad was 46. And that would mean I would start getting colonoscopies when I was 36. Okay, so you had a few years up your sleeve, you thought. Yeah, I thought I had time. Yeah. (laughs) So did it come all of a sudden? 
So it came to a head, so he was nagging me for about four years and our relationship started to get a bit strained uh, to the point where every time I would see him, he was like, have you got tested? And, and I was like, wow. no, dad. So I finally said, okay, I'll, I'll go to my GP. I didn't promise to get tested. Um, but little did I know, I have a fabulous GP who um, also sees my mum. And mum happened to have an appointment probably two weeks before me and dad sent this Lynch syndrome paperwork with her and gave it to my doctor, which is a bit naughty, but it came from a good place. And um, so I went to my appointment and she was like, my GP was like, Jacinta, this is actually pretty serious. Uh, what do you want to do? And I said, oh, okay, well, fine, I'll get a colonoscopy. And that's how it all started. Your GP was obviously pretty supportive. So I guess you just thought it was routine, nothing was going to happen? 110%. So I went into the, um, the colonoscopy prep quite happy because you get like a two-day cleanse. It's fabulous. And if anyone's putting it off, please don't. It's not as bad as it used to be. It's only about four glasses that you have to drink of a lemony drink and you get completely uh, cleared out and you eat a white diet. So that's like potatoes, connoisseur ice cream, rice bubbles. It's great. Oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> I, en- I enjoyed it. So Where do I sign up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone go get one. So I I happily went along to the colonoscopy. The gastroenterologist was actually my dad, had been seeing my dad since his cancer diagnosis, so he knew me and he was like, oh, hi, hi's your dad. And we went in and got it done. And so when did you find out about the results? I was sitting in the waiting room afterwards eating the best ham and cheese sandwich of your life. So they give you this little toasted sandwich after and it's glorious. And I was looking around the room and the the doctor was kind of coming in and talking to everyone and discharging them, giving them their sheets and going. And he said, oh, Jacinta, is your dad here yet to come picking you up? And I was like, oh, no, he's not here yet. But he's like, well, tell me when he's here. And so that happened and he walked in and he looked at both my dad and I and he said, could you please come see me in this private room? And my dad just looked at me and I knew, okay... This, this is serious and... Um, did you say anything or did you? say just, It was just a look. We both just looked. We kind of knew. Um, we were taken into this private room and the, the doctor kind of actually knelt in front of me. He didn't even sit on chair. And he said, look, we've found something and I've been doing this a long time and it, it doesn't look good. Straight up. Straight up. And they, these days they give you a, a little uh, colonoscopy report with photos. Oh. And he, yeah, I know. So he showed me a photo and it was a 3.5 centimetre tumour. How quickly before you had surgery? Three weeks. It was extremely, extremely quick turnaround. And... What support did you get in that three weeks? Uh, it, was, it was outstanding from uh, the doctors and nurses who saw me. I actually ended up going in for another colonoscopy because they tried to take it out that way. But unfortunately, that wasn't successful. So then I had meetings with bowel surgeon, a, a amazing bowel surgeon, nurses, uh, and then, of course, telling my work. And they were extremely supportive. Um, I'd only been working there for about two years at that point. Um, so I didn't have that much sick leave, like only two and a half weeks. And this, once you um, go into bowel surgery, is, you know, you have six to eight weeks off work, which I'd never experienced. I've never even gone on a holiday for that long. So also in that three weeks, it would have been long enough, though, for you to think. 
and think and think again. Was there anything in particular that stuck in your mind during that three weeks? I think when when you get the diagnosis and you're waiting for results, you actually you, you try not to think that much appointment by appointment because you're getting so much information thrown at you and you, then you're trying to figure it out and you need to make some decisions. Um, like I had the choice of taking out my whole bowel or, or just taking out a, a bit. So it's all those, okay, what does my, what do I want my life to look like? What, you know, what do I want? What are my values? And um, we end up, up coming to the decision that I would only take out um, 30 centimetres of my bowel. And I promised my um, bowel surgeon that if I ever go back and I've got like um, lots of polyps, which is pre-cancer in the bowel, I'll look at taking a full, um, taking it all out. But at this point in my life, I, I still want to be able to, you know, go travelling without having to know where the toilet is and not having a, a, a pouch or anything. So that was the decision there. Why not have another listen to Natalia's and Jacinta's full stories in the back catalogue from Max's Island podcast? And you can get all past episodes at www.maxisisland.com. There'll be another episode in the summer series, so look out for it soon. And then there'll be a whole lot of brand new episodes coming your way. So why not join us again on the island in 2022?
every sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky. Completely alone, no emails or phone, and nothing, nothing he needed to do. Sometimes.